Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, and I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. Dear 20-something started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful woman they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts we process internally, Dear 20-something is a space where listeners can hear insights, ask questions, and ultimately get advice from the woman they most admire. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Vanessa Du. Vanessa Du co-founded Healthy Kombucha in 2012 alongside her best friends and husband and wife team, Justin and Dana Trout. As chief sales officer, Vanessa brings an invaluable knowledge of sales and marketing amassed from years spent at a major pharmaceutical company before leaving to help start Health Aid Kombucha. Through her expertise in channel penetration and people management, Vanessa has led Health Aid's sales team to boost availability in key channels and markets while cultivating the Health Aid brand as a whole. The brand is now available in 35,000 stores, including Whole Foods, Target, and Trader Joe's. Originally from Los Angeles, Vanessa is a first-generation Asian-American who has always had an interest in science as well as the entrepreneurship bug, even as a little kid. She received her BS in biochemistry from UC San Diego and an MBA from the University of Southern California. One of her passions is to give back to the community and other entrepreneurs and serves as a USC Marshall mentor, advises several young CPG companies, and is an active member of the Female Founder Collective, Entrepreneurs Organization, and Asian Business Association. Further, she's an advisor of Gold House with the goal of helping to uplift other Asian American entrepreneurs. She's been awarded the Next Gen Innovation Award and has spoken on her entrepreneurial journey from Singapore to New York City. Her interests and hobbies include cooking, traveling, experiencing the food scene in LA, and beyond. Staying active and hanging out with her husband, Kevin, their son, Oliver, and pup, Dubu. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Vanessa Du. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Erica. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you here. Welcome to Fireside. This is your first time on here. Is that right? It's my first time. I'm so excited. I love the interface. Awesome. Yeah, we're excited too. Thanks again for, for hopping on today. Cool. Well, we like to start every show with a fun question. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, what is something new you learned this week? It can be a new business you're excited about, maybe a conversation you had with someone, they taught you something new, maybe a book you read, but something new that you learned this week. I learned after talking to my executive coach, um, ways to have more effective meetings and decision making. It goes by the acronym of RAPID, so R-A-P-I-D. And so essentially there's always someone in those meetings that are assigned one of those acronyms. And, it, and like, for example, I would be the D, the decision maker in a situation. I is those people who need to be informed. P are the people that are involved in the performance of the plan. A is everyone who needs to agree on the decision. And then I forgot what R was truthfully. I should look back at my notes, but I used that whole process in a meeting and it was really helpful in terms of just getting people facilitated and on the same page. Oh, that's awesome. I love a good acronym. So thank you for sharing that. Do you feel like you've needed to learn a lot of new skills because of COVID and being separated? 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. I feel like COVID probably pushed everyone to different limits and boundaries and challenges. And for me, it's been a few fold. It's been one trying to cultivate and motivate and excite the team remotely, still while you know trying to lead them through like innovation processes, brainstorming. So how do you do that over a screen? Is a little hard. Second is still trying to you know put the fun in what we do. And so tapping into the motivations, I've definitely leaned on my executive coach for. And then, you know, third, the executive coach has helped me just stay sane, both personally and professionally. Absolutely. Yeah, that's such a gift. And I know a lot of 20-somethings are not quite yet executives, but what are your thoughts on having a career coach or some sort of professional coach to help you when you are younger and still figuring it out? Yeah, you know, in my 20s, I I remember talking to a lot of friends or just friends of friends who you may have been in different industries I was interested in, even though I didn't have a formal coach back then. And even though I didn't have a formal mentor, I feel like I soaked up a lot of experiences from people, which is ultimately what helped me and kind of helped me point myself in the right direction. And then just using someone else as a sounding board is always really helpful helpful, which is what a coach does. Yeah, I love that. That's a great idea. Like using when you're in your 20s, maybe you don't yet have an executive coach using the people you really admire as sort of like your collective coach. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, thank you so much for that. We'll put in the show notes, we'll put what that R is. So we'll we'll connect after because I'm so curious to hear what that is. Okay. Perfect. So we're going to take it back to the very beginning on the show. As you know, we'll chat about your 20s, but a lot of what informs that is obviously your childhood. So when you were younger, what did you aspire to be when you grew up? Yeah, when I was younger, I really thought, well, I had a couple different um, notions. One was I wanted to be a fashion designer. So I, th- I think I still have my notebooks of my sketches of Vanessa Ware. Um, I thought I was going to be a fashion designer. I was a self-described fashionista when I was five years old. But when I turned six and probably in my more formative puberty years, I remember thinking I wanted to be a doctor and it wasn't the typical, oh, my parents wanted me to be one, although maybe that was part of it. But my mom was actually really sick from when I was six years old until I could remember into adulthood. And in my younger years, I just remember thinking like, oh, if a doctor could cure her, if I could cure her, that would be the best thing ever. And I was determined to be a doctor to do to do just that. Oh, wow. That's super inspiring. And I know, you know, we'll get to it later, but a lot of what you do now with Healthy Kombucha is helping people understand their gut, understand the health benefits. So, you know, even though you're not a doctor, it's definitely carried through with a lot of the entrepreneurial stuff you're doing now. So I know that you've shared before that you've always had an entrepreneurial bug, even as a little kid. Can you expand on that more? You wanted to do fashion, then wanted to be a doctor, but what experiences did you have when you were younger that you look back on and think, oh, yep, that was a sign? Yeah, a few actually. So where the neighborhood where I lived, I remember there was just a tree that was shedding leaves and flowers every fall. And I just thought they were so pretty. And so I set up a little flower shop on my parents' front yard and was selling the flowers that fell from our tree. And our neighbor, she was really sweet. She always bought some like every week. So that was one idea that I remember going through with my sister. She was just really there to hold things for me. 
I wanted to start my fashion line. And then there's another piece of it where I remember making, I, I don't know if anyone did finger knitting, but I remember learning how to finger knit. And I thought, oh, what if I can make different blankets and sell them? What I ended up doing was just making them as gifts for my family. But I thought, oh, if I can make so many of these, I can sell them at like $60 a pop. Um, but I also didn't realize like the time and the amount of yarn that I needed to do it. So that was a hobby and a gift giving experience. That's incredible. Even at the young age, you knew you were like, I'm going to charge 60 bucks, increase the prices, make people pay. That's so funny. Did you want to buy something for yourself at that age? Or did, were you just fascinated with the idea of building a business? For myself personally, I wanted an iPod when I was young and my mom wouldn't let me get one. And so she said, you can go work for it. And so that was like my shiny object. Was there something that you were aspiring to have or was it more so just the act of building a business that was exciting? I think it was more so just building a business that was more exciting. But also I never got an allowance as a kid. So I, I feel like all that I got from any businesses or anything I'd like to put into my piggy bank. So it just felt nice to put things into my piggy bank, truthfully, and like hear the coins go in there. Totally. That's very real. Every little coin counts. It's super fun. <laughs> so we're going to jump a little bit. Obviously, you go through school, you want to be a doctor, and then I know you went off to college. Can you tell me a little bit more about the school you chose, what you majored in, and how that experience was for you? Yeah, so I uh, went to UC San Diego, and how I landed on that school, I was at a crossroads. Do I go to Northwestern? Do I go to Berkeley? Do I go out to New York, or do I go, you know, stay more local? And at the time, I was still wanting to be a doctor, and it was in my head that I still could probably cure my mom's disease. I had an interest in science, so why not go after it? And so I thought at the time, UC San Diego had the best biomedical program in the country. And so I said, well, I'm going to double down on that and go to UC San Diego, even though it wasn't as far as I wanted to go or adventurous. So that's why I chose UC San Diego. And ultimately, my major there became biochemistry. But between my sophomore and junior year, after taking these exhaustive pre-med courses, I just thought I really love science, but I don't love doing it to the point of having to think of it as a chore or having to do it to get good grades. And also at that point, I don't think I really had what it took to cure my mom's disease because I didn't know the first place to start. I had an interest in science, but I was in the lab trying to work on diabetes and it was very far away from living out my you know, inspiration here. And so I really took stock of what I felt like I wanted to do, which is possibly go into business or do something else related to science. And that's when I made a pivot is after my sophomore year of college. That's super interesting. And was there a specific class you took or a specific test you took or a specific realization you had that made you officially say, I am done with pre-med? Or was it just a natural progression over several courses and, and several years? I think it, it wasn't so much a course. I was trying to do some lab work. And so I started working in a lab and I was in charge of uh, two things. Basically, it was on diabetes and I was also working in a different lab on breast cancer research and the pipetting day in and day out. I kind of just thought to myself, is this what my life is going to be relegated to? Am I always going to be sitting behind the wall by myself with pipettes all around me? It just didn't seem not, not even glamorous. It just didn't seem where my heart 
felt like I needed to be. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was when I was working in the diabetes lab, I had to implant glucose monitors onto these dolphins. And that was just all sorts of not my cup of tea. And so I was quickly in that semester of lab work, just turned off to the whole idea of pre-med from that point on. I have to say, there's a lot of different animals you can work with, and I feel like dolphins are one of the better ones. So I'm surprised you had such a negative experience. You know, you hear about mice and rats, but I feel like dolphins are pretty great. No, they're so cute. I mean, I love them. I just hated having to implant these monitors in them. And so I just felt like, yeah, I'm an animal lover, but felt like a weird experience I didn't need to be part of again. That makes a lot of sense. And I think one thing that's hard too about being a doctor is often a lot of what you experience in college isn't actually doing the doctoring. So sometimes it can be hard to know if you like it or if you don't, because what you end up doing as a doctor, you don't get access to until later. So once you decided in the middle of college that you were not going to be pre-med and you were interested in business, what was next? Were you going to take an interesting class? Did you decide to do an internship? What was next for you in pursuing your business path? Yeah, that's a great question. So at that point, I pivoted kind of my life goals. And there was uh, some type of ad within the labs that I was working in. And it was essentially working for a pharmaceutical company, not in the lab, but working on like front of the house or interesting governmental projects as an intern. And so I remember taking that ad. And at the time, it was for Pfizer. I, I'm sure that name perks up a bunch of people on this call. But they were interested in getting interns from college to work on governmental projects to help increase education around Medicare, pharmaceuticals, and the education of them. And it was more of an opportunity to stay within the science world, but work more in front of the house, not necessarily with customers, but work with lobbyists and work in Sacramento with the government. And so I thought it was interesting. And so I took that internship and that was my first internship outside of the direct medicine world. That's awesome. And it sounds like it was a nice transition, like you said. And so I know you ultimately ended up working there as your first job after college. So obviously the internship went well. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you liked about your job there? Maybe what you didn't like about your job there and your experience at Pfizer? Yeah. So after that internship, they invited me back. I did another internship with them you know, right after junior year. And that was more on the customer facing side. And so it was really neat to me because I didn't really know any of the stereotypes within the pharmaceutical industry. I just thought everything was a whole new adventure and experience for me. After college, when I joined them, I remember loving the idea that I could save someone's life with innovative medicine. So that was a real charge and motivation that I was really helping someone. As I became more entrenched into the industry, I remember one of my friends saying in my 20s, um, I think there was a show or, or something that was mocking the pharmaceutical world. And they're like, oh, are you one of those Barbies that work within the pharmaceutical land? And I had no idea what they were talking about. But what I came to understand about the stereotypes within the industry is that there's a lot of people who are maybe in this industry not for the right reasons, not for the same reasons I was there for. And so that started to misalign, I would say. So that was a negative. But at the heart of it, I was still really excited about the work that Pfizer itself was doing and, and even GSK when I moved on from Pfizer. The other negative side was the medical system 
within the U.S. is not necessarily helpful to either doctors or patients at any given moment. And so I just remember a lot of the doctors being really disillusioned. I had my rose-colored glasses on, just being that eternal optimist. And so it felt like the environment I was working in, both talking to the doctors, talking to patients, really started to wear down that shame that I had. I mean, it was no longer about saving lives that I thought my job was, but it's more about how do you work the system so that people can get whatever medicine they can get. So that was a little disheartening. Yeah, you saw behind the scenes, you saw what was really going on, which I, yeah, I can imagine is disheartening. And like you said, going to maybe two different companies and seeing the same type of thing can also be disheartening because maybe you think one is that way. But as you start to see a whole industry unravel that way, that can be a bit disappointing. I want to ask you a little bit more about choosing sales. So obviously, there's lots of different careers you can have in the pharmaceutical industry. And I know that you ended up becoming, you know, a huge sales representative, sales executive at Pfizer and at GSK, where you went later. What about sales drew you and how did you like it? Yeah, I I don't know if I formally chose it, truthfully. I remember that internship led me to some really interesting opportunities within Pfizer and GSK. And so what I really enjoyed about it is the interaction with people. I am energized, I would say, by other people, really being able to help them cultivate this idea that we're in it together. And so that really energized me. I would say also what I like to do is kind of debunk traditional myths out there. So I also thought it was a real possibility to be a salesperson on my own terms. Like I don't have to compromise who I am necessarily. And so that was more of a personal challenge where I didn't have to be your typical salesperson, quote unquote, but I was just me at the end of the day. And so for me, that's been my approach to the job. And I think that's been proven successful. Would you say that the more authentic you are, you'll find the right role within the industry? 100%. I I definitely agree with that. But it does take some self-awareness and understanding, like, are you being true to yourself? Are you really listening to that voice inside of you? And then also confronting maybe what your strengths are and what your opportunities are as well. And just knowing where to double down, if anything. How do you figure out who you authentically are when you were in your 20s and you were doing your sales job and you were authentically yourself? What were those practices that you came back to to figure out what you liked? Yeah, so in my 20s, I felt like it was a lot of curiosity within my head, which eventually did lead me to health aid. But I remember even just getting my head right for the job itself, I would take maybe a day a month or a day every other week to just reprioritize what I needed to do for myself and for the job. And so that was really important for me to just reprioritize and make sure I was focusing on the big things. Something else, I mean, this is personal to everyone, but self-care has always been really important to me. And it's been different meanings and what I did for self-care in my 20s versus now, truthfully. At the time, I remember I craved travel. I craved experiences with my loved ones. And so when I didn't have that, I didn't feel necessarily fulfilled in my other areas of life. So those were important things I remember needing to fulfill for my own bucket to be happy. Yeah, I think that's so great. It's figuring out what self-care practices work for you and then doing them and prioritizing them even when you are young and hustling and figuring it out. So you were at Pfizer and then you went to GSK for a few years. And while you were at GSK, I know you decided to go 
get your MBA at USC. I'm a fellow Trojan myself, so love to hear that. Why did you decide to go back to business school? You were doing well in sales at GSK and something in you said, I want to go get more education. Can you tell me a little bit more about what went into that decision and how you liked business school? Yeah. So I think I made that decision right around 25 or 26 that I was going to go into business school. And truthfully, it was a quarter life crisis. I thought I made great money at my job. I think I was doing well. But at the end of the day, I mentioned the disillusionment was really starting to wear on my heart. And at the end of the day, the job wasn't fulfilling enough for me. And so I wanted to make a change in my own career. And I didn't really know where to go with it. And so I thought the next best place to go was school just to maybe buy myself some time, as well as to learn other areas that might be interesting to me. And so that's why I chose to go to business school. And um, had a great time at USC and going into school, to be quite honest, I thought I was going to pivot to be a consultant because I thought it would keep me kind of front of house facing to deal with clients as well as, you know, I get to use my brain in a different way and I would still be able to fulfill that kind of travel bug, if you will. What I've come to realize in business school is that that consultant life and the people I met it wasn't really my cup of tea either. But what I loved in business school was the entrepreneurship classes and the exposure to the various entrepreneurs that I would meet through the USC network. And so that's what really piqued my interest in business school was really the entrepreneurship side. That's amazing. And would you say that that was your first taste at real entrepreneurial learnings in an academic setting? Like you hadn't studied that in school, right? So this was the first time you were really learning what business was all about and building a business. Right, exactly. So I guess in a formal academic setting, like I never knew, I never read case studies around how people built this. Now there are podcasts around that. And I never met people or heard their stories on how they built it. I never took classes on organizational development on how to build teams from the ground up. And so that was inspiring. It piqued my curiosity. It got me excited about the what if. And I just remember wanting to take that all in versus other experiences that I've had were like sales or consultant life. And so that's when I really decided to make entrepreneurship a go. Yeah, I love that. And obviously worked out for you. So for people who are maybe in a career right now in their 20s and they're feeling kind of lost, they're maybe making money like you were, they're doing fine, but they don't have that passion that lights them up. Would you recommend that they do go back to school and find a school that works for them? Yeah, so I was in a unique spot with school at the time where GSK, they paid for my school or most of it, I should say. I quit my job about two years in when I had one year left, so I paid for that remainder of it. So I had the flexibility of not having to pay that full amount. But I guess I would say if there's a specific interest or a specific area of domain that you just need to get more learning on, and that is probably the best way to do it, then I recommend school. For example, I have a friend who just really wanted to go down the path of Irish history for whatever her reason was. And so she chose to get her master's and PhD in Irish history, and she's going to choose to write a book on Irish history. That I would say you need some formal education on. But maybe there's other ways that don't cost as much or that don't take as much time. You know, if you can't you leave work to go to school, I would say there's maybe other ways to get that understanding or experience either by 
talking to different people within the industries you're excited about, or you know, maybe taking a you know, second job or side hustle that gets you experience or closer to where you want to be, just all in the spirit of experience and learning. Yeah. So I guess it really just does depend, but I, it's so nice, like you said, now that there are all, all these other resources that you can take advantage of and you can do side hustles and do other things outside of work to really gain those extra skills. So we've kind of wrapped up through your 20s. We've talked about your two jobs, Pfizer, GSK, you got your MBA. And then at the very end of your 20s, you start what we all know you for, what we all love, Health Aid Kombucha. I do want to just touch on that briefly because you did start that in your 20s. What gave you the confidence to start your very own business in your 20s? I think that's something that we hear a lot that people still feel like they have a lot they need to learn and it can be really hard to take that leap. So could you walk me through what led you to make that decision at the very end of your 20s to start Health Aid? Yeah, you know, for me, it was basically a decision of, well, am I going to bet on myself to try this now and see if I can do it? Or am I going to regret it if I didn't take this next step? The alternative would be, okay, I could go find a job in that consultant world or corporate America and you know, get paid more than what I did before, would I still regret it? And so for me, I think what gave me the confidence was maybe blind and naive innocence to it all. I felt like, you know, in my 20s, I could still take it on. And why not try it now? At the time, I had no family of my own in that I had no kids, I had no husband. And I just needed to think about what I needed to do for my next step. So that's a real luxury that I had in my 20s. And then I guess the second thing is, you know, I believed in that, okay, if health aid didn't work out, I was competent and confident enough to find something to fall back on, like a job, I could find something to support myself. And so I think it's that blind courage, if you will, that I just went forward. Blind courage is pretty admirable. It's it's easier said than done, but I think that that's great advice. And like you said, when you're in your 20s, you don't have all of the strings attached. You don't have the family, the kids, most often, you know, sometimes you do, but typically when you're younger, you don't have as many responsibilities. So having blind courage, it can be a really good thing. All right. Well, I do have one final question before we open it up to Q&A. So this is a question we ask all of our guests. You've obviously shared lots of gems for 20 somethings throughout this conversation, but I have one final question. If you could say one thing to every 20-something in the world, what advice would you give them? I would say follow your gut, as cheesy as they may be, because health aid tagline is also follow your gut. But in your 20s, you're, you're trying out different things. You're curious about different things. You have experiences that you're like, what the hell just happened? And at the end of those experiences, there's always something that tells you like, oh, I like that or I should not do that again. I would just listen to that more and more. And there are definitely times where I ignored that and I paid the price later on. And then I followed it and it really led me to some great things. And so I would say follow your gut. I love that. And it's so on brand too, because as we know, follow your gut is... Healthy Kombucha is saying has double meaning too. Exactly. I'm going to open it now up for the Q&A portion of our show. So as a reminder, we'll take a few questions from the audience. See, come on up. Thank you so much. Wow, that was inspirational. Can you tell us a little bit about why you chose Kombucha to be your, your business venture? Sounds like you were meant, I love how you trusted your gut. I, I really listened to that throughout what you were saying you over and over again, and I think that's a wonderful message. Of all the things out there, why'd you pick this one? 
Yeah, that's a great question. How you know, me and my partners, Dinah and Justin, we were all on the same page that we wanted to build a business. We just didn't know what it was going to be yet, and so we started an entrepreneur club to try and figure it out. And it was in these clubs that we brainstormed different, not so much ideas, but we talked about problems. Like, what are problems in the world that we can create a solution for, and that would be our business. So. Some examples were, you know, parking in LA. It's really hard to find parking. How do we find like a remote parking finder app and maybe a remote thermometer for your meat when you're cooking in the oven? Stuff like that. One day, the male Justin of our trio came home, and he was really upset because when you're in your mid twenties and you're a male and you go to the hairdresser and the hairdresser tells you you're going to be bald by thirty, you're pretty upset. So he was upset to say the least, and we thought, "Wow, hair loss is a really big problem, not just in this community in LA, but in the world. What if we could come up with a natural hair loss product?" And my partner Dinah, she's been brewing kombucha. We looked up kombucha's health benefits, and anecdotally, it's been said that kombucha could help with hair loss. So we started brewing lots of kombucha, not to drink, truthfully, but because we wanted to start a hair loss company. And so we were going to use the culture bacteria and yeast that you use to ferment as a hair loss mask. And so we were actually just giving away our beverage. We didn't really care about the liquid. We just wanted the SCOBY culture. And so at the end of that four months, I remember we, we realized we're not clinicians, we're not doctors, we don't have the right clinical control trial to understand is this working. But what we did have was really good kombucha because our friends were excited about it. They kept on coming back for it, and that's when we thought, okay, well we're not going to have this hair loss business. Why don't we just sell the kombucha that we have at the farmers market because it's the easiest place we know to go to? We'll make some of our money back, and then we'll, you know, after summer we'll just come back and figure out what our next business is. And that's how they. It's a wild story. I feel like it's very rare. You know, there's not many products that can go from hair loss to beverage like that. That's pretty incredible. Thank you. I'm going to ask you one question that I personally have. So obviously health is very important to your team at HealthAid. You guys actively promote gut health and all the obviously benefits of kombucha. What is one piece of health advice that you would give to all 20-somethings? Yeah, probably three. And this is me speaking as like a 36-year-old now. One is like wear sunscreen. Two is drink water, lots of it, because I never drink enough of it. And then third is, you know, I was always on these like ups and downs when it came to health kicks. So I would do a boot camp for like three months, and then I would want to just go crazy with my friends on the weekend. And these cycles of like super healthy, super not was just not healthy at the end of the day. So where I got to was just trying to take things in moderation. I, I found a happy medium, I should say. Wonderful. Vanessa, I want to thank you so much for coming and joining us today. This has been such an awesome conversation and it was so valuable hearing all about your 20s and and your pivots along the way and how you started this insane category accidentally from trying to solve hair loss. Thank you again for joining. We really, really appreciate it. Can you let everyone know where they can follow you on social media and also where they can follow HealthAid so they can get yeah. themselves on? Thank you so much, Erica. It's been a blast. You can follow me and HealthAid on Instagram and LinkedIn. HealthAid is just at health. A-D-E. And I'm Vanessa underscore D-E-W on Instagram. And we're also on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you again, Vanessa. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, please follow us on social and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Have a good Tuesday night. Thanks, Erica. Bye, everyone.